0: Okay. Oh, she wants this. one seven
1: God, just a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, number one on the agenda that's coming up fast is at four o'clock today here at the church grounds. Now, uh, we had planned on going to Maumee Bay, but unfortunately Mommy Bay is I'm still under a water warning out there, so the kids and, and folks who have health concerns like that would not be able to swim, and so we will be here. We will be here at four o'clock today and for a few hours at least having fellowship and just kind of spending some time together. I know that we're doing some water games for the kids, and, and young people and myself, because I want to play water games. So we're everybody wants to play water games.
0: games.
1: So, yes, we are gonna have some adult games that are non-wet. And I know I saw people bringing a couple of cornhole setups if you have that kind of thing if you want to come and you bring it, whatever, that's great. There is a kind of a potluck thing, so if you want to bring some food to share, you can do that. Uh, we've got sandwiches as the main course, and we've got some desserts. And Miss Chris has a kind of a list that she's gonna keep in. So we've got that, but if you have a signature dish that you want to bring or something you just like to grab, whatever, you're welcome to that, but you don't have to, okay? So we'll be here starting at four. Pantry will be open like normal from two to three, and then we'll be here starting at four o'clock for uh, some time of fellowship, spend some time together, and I would just encourage you uh, during that time to just share, share your lives, talk to people, let them know what know what's going on with you, pray together, and so on. We've got some folks that are out sick today, we've got some folks that are traveling, one of them, one of the families that's out traveling will make it back this afternoon uh, and should be there this evening, so good time to fellowship, good time just to have some time together. Also, it's on my radar, it's really been heavy on my heart this year, Uh, we've been trying to do it, we still have um, scholarships for Camp You Can, I spoke with Kelvin yesterday morning, and he still has uh, uh, we, we initially had, we could send 10 people and we have almost 10 people going might have 10 now, close. suppose um, but then uh, I, he told me yesterday we could have as many as 30 additional scholarships if we want them, because they still have room in the camp, so they've got about 50, 60 kids going right now, and they still have room for plenty more, and so if you know any boy between the ages of 9 and 15 who would like to go to camp we will take them transportation is free, scholarship, for food for the week, that's well, four nights, so uh, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then we come home Thursday afternoon, so it's three nights, four days, Monday through Thursday, and it's the last week before TPS goes to school, which means it's not this week, it's next week, it's right there, it's right around the corner, okay, so RJ and I are going, and we're taking the boys from here that want to go, and then there's boys voice from the community that have signed up, and if you know anybody, this week, right now, in your neighborhood, this afternoon, you're driving your car down the Road, and you see four or five kids that look up there in approximately that age range, 9 to 15, at, at boys, gotta be boys, boys camp. Then just stop and say, Hey, you want to go to camp? Free scholarship, right? And if they say yes, then we'll get the paperwork to their parents, get them signed up, we gotta do it fast. It's like right now, it's in our face right now. And that's what he said. Now, technically, tomorrow morning was the last day to sign them up, but yesterday when I talked to him, he said, Not only would they give us an additional free scholarship if we needed it, but then on top of that, he said, for you guys, for New Heights alone, for us, we can sign people up all week until Friday. Okay, and Then we go to camp on Monday, so they're going to be you know, playing uh, double time and working hard for us to be able to do that. So it's right now, do it right now, and pray, because this is an opportunity for young men to really get in the Word, to really have some fun with other young men. Yes, they play a lot. They do. They swim, and they've got all kinds of activities. I don't even know what all that, they've got like 30 activities there, but they have all kinds of stuff they'll have open. Uh, they have zip lines I think they're zip lining they have swimming for sure we are going to be open and all that but then they also have professional athletes who are Christians come in and talk to them about God talk to them about being a man who lives for God and and still being able to be uh, very physical or very intelligent or very capable as a professional that kind of thing Um, and they have professional football player coming professional basketball player coming uh, and so it's really a neat neat thing uh, for young men to really kind of be authorized it's okay you can be a man and live for God. And we know that in our church. But this is our opportunity to teach that in our community. And so I encourage you, if you see somebody, get right on it this week. Got a few days left. We can do that and get, make sure they get their papers in the time. Okay. And then, we're going to pray together. We're going to do what we really came here to do. Okay? Which is to worship God. Because He is awesome. He did everything. There's room at the cross because Jesus died to pay for sins. Amen. If that had not happened, I can tell you right now, we would not even still be here. The world would be long done and over because wickedness had developed. There was nobody to mediate between God and men at that point in time. It had got to be such a place that we were like the Palestinian, uh, the promised land folks. God said, they are wicked the whole earth. Or in the day of Moses, they are wicked the whole earth. That's the way it was. But because of Jesus, we have grace. We live in the era of grace. And we're grateful for that. And that's the reason we praise praising today alright probably come up with a hundred more and spend the whole time coming up with reasons but we're prepared to go to the Lord. so let's pray together and then we'll worship a little more there's more announcements in your bulletin and uh, I'm you to take a look at that Father in heaven thank you so much for all that you've done for us thank you for being the kind of God who loves the people that when we are imperfect and we, we needed grace you provided that grace thank you for being the kind of God who is a just and righteous God that knows that sin must be punished that evil must be Undone. The wickedness must be stopped in its tracks. And then you did that. You didn't just let it go. And even in the world now, what's going on out there right now, the things that are happening, that people are doing that are not right, or you're not just letting that go. Someone might want to argue and say, well, it just seems to just keep going on. God just letting it go. But you're not just letting it go. You paid for sin by sending your son and really crushing him for us. So that wickedness could be paid for and grace could abound. Because of that, then, should we be more wicked? Should we be in sin? Should we be doing what's wrong? No, we should be doing what's right. Out of gratitude toward you. We know that a lot of folks aren't. We pray, Lord, that they would encounter the risen Jesus. That the gospel would come. The only weapon. Your word would sink deep into the hearts of men. And our world would be transformed in our day. But we know that does not happen that there is a time. coming just around the corner, a little ways down the road, when you're ready at exactly the right time, which men will be judged for what they've done in this lifetime. We praise you for forgiving us, arranging forgiveness, giving us a Lord to follow, and a Savior who paid for sins. We praise you for bright blue skies, fresh air, and freedom, and room at the cross. We praise you for all of it. Now help us, Lord, because we want to sing praises this morning. But the truth is, distracted by the things of the world, pressed by our troubles, struggling in some cases with health or relationships or finances or whatever, we need you to offer in us a word of prayer for you, a word of praise for you, a service for you, I've given back to you. Would you help us do that today as we seek to reach new heights in Jesus? We pray it all in Jesus' name.
0: Amen i take down the Daddy. Daddy, come here. Daddy. 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 Daddy.
1: in time where we ask you to share how the Lord's been speaking this week and what it is that you have been maybe reading about, praying about. I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our six months emphasis on prayer. Uh, we've studied some things we talked about some things, talked about some different ways that you can do it. Um, last time I stood before you to talk about that, I, I, I talked to you about how you can get a list of prayer requests, kind of like this one you talk to Hey, what are you praying about? And then keep that and manage it and manage it. Praying that that thing. Today, I want to talk briefly. I'll keep this very, very short. Talk briefly about what uh, what I call the battle plan for prayer. There's a movie that you may or may not be familiar with. Christian movie that came out not that uh, really wasn't that long ago. I'd say about six years ago, five years ago, something like that. And it talked about the battle plan for prayer. And so, if you would visit, and I was gonna, I thought about bringing it with me today, and then I thought I better not because I am so bad about losing pieces of paper. But if you would visit my prayer closet and my and my. Uh, Off my bedroom, you'll find that I have a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper, I have a name. uh, And on each each person gets their own piece of paper. I don't have a piece of paper for everybody, uh, but I have a piece of paper for a lot of folks. And on that piece of paper, that has the prayer requests that I have gotten for that person. Now, I that that's there, but then on top of that is a little list that starts with um, what maybe. Concerns me the most for each person, and that is that they would have a right relationship with God. And then out from there, what's like ne- next most important? You know, after a right relationship with God, what's next most important? And it might be that they would be able to walk out the relationship, they would be able to live as part of the church, they would be able to do ministry, serve, whatever. And then I put a little notation of what that prayer request is, and then I and I might put a Bible verse with it. I, I recommend when you're doing that, if you're in your prayer closet, you're in your time alone, whatever you're right now even if somebody gives you prayer requests, let's say, for example, if somebody says, you know, I'm really struggling, struggling with being faithful, to serve the body, whatever like that, you might go to your, your Bible, look up a Bible verse that goes right along with that prayer request, like, forsake not to dissemble yourselves, or um, something from Ephesians 4 about serving how the body gets stronger as they work together, or something like that, you write down a Bible verse. The reason I suggest that is, and it's not really my idea initially, the reason I suggest it is because when you do that, you may go to pray for that person, you don't have any idea what to pray. Like, what, what words will I use? As a, what you'll do then is you'll find yourself saying the same thing over and over and over again. I pray for so-and-so's health. Uh, you know, they need help in their health. Or please heal them. And that's all you say. You know what I mean? But if you put a Bible verse there, then if something comes to mind, you pray specifically what came to mind. And if you have the Bible verse, you can always pray the Bible. Bible verse. You can't go wrong with praying a Bible verse. Right? You pray that back to God and say, your word says this. I'm claiming that promise to that person today, and I said, you never go wrong with praying a Bible verse. And then, if you feel like you prayed those two things, you can always put another Bible verse, right? Notice what's happening as you do that. You are growing yourself as a Christian, as a servant, and as a prayer, right? Because those verses that you pray, if I pray uh, a certain Bible verse for a person and I do it, you know, you might pray, go in your prayer closet daily. I pray every day a lot, but I don't go to my prayer class anywhere near daily. Uh, In fact, I went went a couple months without doing it at all. But then recently I've been going a couple times a week, three times a week, whatever. But then as I go throughout the day, I'm always praying. I mean, I was thinking thinking about those things. And I know what's on the papers. I know what verses are there. But when I'm in there, I'm looking at those pages. Those verses are affecting me, Right? This is what I think is the economy of God. When you pray for others and really care about other people, stop thinking about what you want. I'm telling you right now, you can't have what you want. And it's, a, it's a terrible thing to think. We've got to come to Christmas time. If your Christmas time is thinking about all the gifts you're going to get from other people, right? I want so-and-so to give you this, I want so-and-so to give you that, whatever, you're going to come to the end of Christmas, and about January 15th, Christmas is going to lose all of its excitement for you. After you got or didn't get all the gifts you were waiting for, right? You go, oh, that's well, gone. We wait for next year now, or my birthday, so I can get some more gifts. But if your gifts are about giving and serving and loving people, if that's what you're doing. You caring about the people around. You thinking, out oh, what can I get for them? How can I be really thoughtful with my gift giving? How can I really serve people? If that goes on. That pays dividends on and on and on, right? Not because they like you because you gave them the right thing, but because you spent time. You became a giving, serving, you, you perfected something inside of you, okay? Just receiving, like I, I remember getting gifts when I was a kid. Come, go, go, boom, done, just like that. A week later, forgot I even got it. Kids would play with a box, the toys came in, forget the toys <laughs> an hour later, right? So, that's not how we want to live. So when you're praying, stop thinking about, I'm praying for them because, man, I really want them to be healed, or I really want them to be happy, or I really want them to join the church, or I really want them to live for Jesus, Start thinking about praying for them because it's really what's good for them. So start at the center. The most important thing is relationship with Christ. Work out from there. What comes next? Work out from there. What comes next? The outermost things, the simplest things, are things like that they would be happy, that they would be safe, that they'd be okay. You know, that's an outside brains. The inside rings are all about start with God and work out from there. Okay, And then every time you do it, try to write a Bible verse. If you go, this is the last thing I'll say, if you go to write a Bible verse on there and you can't find one, cross off that prayer request. You're praying for the wrong thing. There's promises in Scripture for literally everything a person really needs. Right? There's promises in Scripture for everything a person really needs. And if you go to write on there, man, I pray they get a new car. Then you go, look, oh, I need a new car verse. My goodness. Uh, to keep first the kingdom of God and of everything, all these things should be added unto you. Now, that doesn't cover the car, I don't think. No, that's talking about food and water and and safety and, no that's not I can't find a new car just cross it off okay and That's the, and then that's the reason to do that because you're growing but also because God didn't promise it then you probably don't need to pray for it Let's be realistic okay and then you can just say then that's why you can say Lord Jesus said pray this your will be done your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right there you go. Okay, so that's prayer for today. What do you got? What have you been reading? What have you been seeing? What what happened to you this week? we got 7 been apart for seven days, some of those for longer. Miss Chris has got something. Come on.
2: Alright, so some of you know, some of you don't know. I heard the phones from the life station. woo um, Sometimes it's, it's really hectic and overwhelming. Um, but, um, I've noticed lately, um, since, um, July, we have to start doing re registrations. Yeah. And, um, The very last question on the registration form is, do you have a prayer request? And I've been, depending on what they say their prayer request is, some of it's just the world, you know, the health of the world, or it's just generic. But if it's specific, we pray right then and there. And I've kind of changed my prayer lately with some people who talk in that are suffering through something. And it used to be, I would pray, you know, if they were sick with cancer, if they were, you know, something, um, that, you know, it would be God's will to heal them. Changed it a little bit now, though. I'm saying, if it's God, I I still say if it's God's will to heal them, but if it's not God's will to heal them, to let them know why they are going through this, so that they can use that to witness to someone else. God had me go through this, so I can help you with this, and so. We gotta kind of keep that in mind. Sometimes we go through things in life that are to make us grow, to understand things, to help us witness to others, and and you really got to think about that. You know, why am I going through this? You know, if if it's not a sin I've done, or if it's not, you know, why is God letting me go through this? please, God, let me see why I'm
1: going through this yeah. so that you can share with others. Yeah. You know, I think it's worthwhile to say, when we're talking about prayer especially, you know, is it God's will that anyone would ever get saved? Is that God's will? You know, like, we like to say no, but the truth is it is if if it's for the kingdom's glory, if it's for God, if it's maybe disciplinary, right? We saw uh, one of the kings of the New Testament era is sitting on the throne and, he's, and the people go like, oh man, his words are like the words of God. And he said nothing and then he got worms in his stomach and died. <laughs> you know? So there, God can use illness to punish people, to correct people, to discipline people. That's probably not his normal way. You know, I don't think he does that all the time, but he can do that. And so we definitely want to encourage people who are in a difficult spot to draw close to God. Make sure. The first thing to check is, am I doing something that's not godly? Am I failing to do something I should be doing? That kind of thing. God never wants to see anybody sick. It's the truth. God doesn't do that. Only time, The only time we see that in the Bible is when he sends sickness because of discipline. Other than that, there's no desire. You know, uh, The blind man was blind. They asked Jesus, why is he blind? He blind because of the sin of his parents or the sin of the blind man? John 9. And uh, Jesus said, ne- neither one. He, said, he is blind so that the glory of God might be seen today. And then Jesus proceeded to heal his blindness. Okay, So he's not, that person was not blind. God didn't want him to be blind because if he had wanted him to be blind, he wouldn't have healed his blindness. right? And God, God didn't make him blind because his parents sinned. He didn't make him blind because he sinned. Sometimes we go through things because God's going to get the glory out. That's what we're talking about. That's awesome. At the same time, never hesitate to pray for somebody's healing because God doesn't want anybody to be sick. There is a promise of health, and, of health and wellness. It just isn't a carte blanche, do whatever the heck you want, ignore Jesus, and be fine. There's none of that, right? There's a lot of sickness in the world that goes back to Adam and Eve. We have a fallen creation. Disease is because of sin. There's no doubt about that. If the world were perfect, we wouldn't have any sickness. We also wouldn't have a lion hunt down, killing, and eating an or, or whatever, right? There'd be no death. But we do have it now. The world is growing for that resurrection that Jesus is going to really regenerate all new, all creation and all heaven and earth will all be new. It's all going to be new. Destroyed by fire and then all new. That's coming. And after that, nobody be praying for no sickness because there won't be nothing. you would be in hell or you would be in a new heaven and new earth. That's it so but right now yes people have to face it and we do learn from it we do grow from it and definitely pray that people will be healed and definitely pray that they would learn from what they're going through that's good stuff all right who else i got
3: a song all right ron's got a song
4: Brett, can you put that switch right there by
0: your <laughs>
3: people on a pedestal of unrealistic expectation. We often forget that every single one of us, no matter how seemingly perfect on the outside, is a broken individual. I've made it a point to be transparent about this in my own life through my lyrics. I never want to give the impression that I have it all figured out, or that every struggle lies behind me. It can be very freeing to understand that everyone at some point will fail. They will fail God, they will fail themselves, they will fail you. Understanding grace and forgiveness is the only way to spare yourself the disappointment of the human condition. Mm. I I really like the, the one line, lost in the shadow of an endless grace. Sometimes when, when people walk around their Christian life with the grace of God covering them in every aspect of their life they can seem to be like better than what they are perfect or whatever you want to call it whatever adjective to you You got to remember that that all comes from God not an individual so remember that when somebody is covered by the grace of God that is God's doing not them and uh it really helps that if somebody does something or says something to you that hurts you or caught you off guard or, you know, whatever, to remember that, um, hey, this person's just screwed up as I am. doesn't matter what they look like or what they do or say. Um, we all need God's grace. That's amen. That a good word, brother. Thank you so much. All right. We got time for one more. Anybody else? Elijah, what's right, Connie? I was uh, watching Tom and Jared, my
5: nephew, this morning.
1: <laughs> and, um, okay.
5: There was this, uh, this episode where uh, <laughs> Tom gets his letter in the mail. Okay, opens it up and he says he's won a million dollars for inheritance or something like that. Okay, um, but the stipulation is he loses all of it if he hurts any creature, any living creature. He says even a mouse. Okay, and um, Jerry also read the letter and he knew about it. So then Tom gets all his money and he's living a high life, and uh, Jerry's. Passing him into the in like Jerry does all the time. And every time Tom's about to snack and Jerry shows him the contract, he's like, you lose your money. And um, they just they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And eventually it gets to the point where uh, Tom's about to snack Jerry. Jerry shows him the contract and Tom grips it up and then shows um, Jerry grabs a little piece and says, Even a mouse. And Tom shoves it down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he chases Jerry and Jerry. Gets Jerry. And that's kind of an interesting uh, way of looking at life, too. Is like, you
0: know, the nice things are nice,
5: but um, they're not as nice as you
0: think. Because there's
1: something else that's going to make you want to make you want to go that way. The things of the world are not the you want to think. It's, it's, Yeah, I they're kind of too. You lose it all. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Live for eternity, not for enjoyment now. <laughs> Good stuff. That's, that's on quick?
4: Yeah. I uh-huh. got okay. So uh, I was thinking, walking in, I, need, I had a big old spiel, that's all right. But uh, I was thinking just, uh, and I, I do this way, and I just keep no, keep just being transparent. Uh, I do so much brokenness, loss, suffering, and no one can understand. Probably the worst 12 years of this life I've been And uh, they won't understand why it is, And they talk to me about it is. it is. When I was talking to my daughter, she feels the same way. She feels like she's going so much. She's, She's so blessed that like she's able to find Jesus at such an early age and uh, she's going to church and she gets her and thinks she's Dad. and I just see all those blessings. And I started to understand that the blessings isn't what makes her feel safe, comfortable. It's when I shirk sure God with her. Wow. The thing is, when I was talking to her, I said, yeah. I, I, I told her, I said, we're going to go for a walk and we're going to get hot and it's going to get sweaty and we're going to it's going to sink. we got to drink water. I said, drink water. to keep this. These bodies are broken. And, and I just started like thinking about it. I was like, but here's the thing. We're all broken. But God didn't have to be broken. God could have stayed on the throne. God could have stayed where he was at. But equality of God wasn't enough for him. This is Philippians chapter 2. He looked at himself and said, no, this is not the way. I, am. I don't consider myself being God by looking good but actually being righteous, being good, so I become a servant to all. I become a living sacrifice that so anyone can come to me to come back to what I give in them. And so, when I go through suffering, and we all do, I'm reminded that one thing, that God never suffered. God chose to become suffering. They even call him a suffering servant. Because every servant suffers here in the But not, honestly, suffering. And the reason I'm saying because of suffering is because He didn't just suffer, but he became suffer. God, for the first time, said, I'm going to taste death. I'm going to taste pain, temptation. I'm going to taste everything that the world has, but I'll never turn my back on God. But God the Father turned his back on me so he could die. So that anyone could come to him. He rose again. And like my brother said, a victorious relationship with God. But the victories of God is not enough. And the victories that happened was because of Him. And that's what we can all remember, is that while you suffer, there's only one that truly suffers with us. Okay.
1: Alright, so we're going to pray together at this time and transition to tithes and offering, to a little more worship and then into the Word. And ask Alicia. Alicia, would you pray for us at this time as we move forward? Let's pray with her.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here through our struggles, through our ailments, through our sicknesses. Be with all of us. Be with our finances and our health and our families and help us to do everything that we do for you and remind us why we do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Real slow, so you can get some motions with us, and then we're gonna see if we can do it a little faster. Ready? I've got the joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it. J O Y down in my
0: heart,
2: deep, deep down in my heart. Where it come from? Jesus put it there, and nothing can destroy it, joy, joy, it,
0: it. I've got. The down
2: in my
0: heart,
2: deep, deep down in my heart. All right, we're gonna go a little faster. Are we ready? Yeah. I got the joy down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it. J O Y down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart, where did it come from? Jesus put it there, and nothing can destroy it, destroy it, destroy
0: it. Huh. Yeah.
2: I've got the joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Okay, one more time, really fast. Ready? I've I got, got the, the joy, deep, joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it, J O Y down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Where did it come from? Jesus put it there, and nothing yeah. can destroy it, destroy it, destroy it. Huh. I've got
1: the joy down my heart, deep, deep down my heart. Yeah. Yay! Right, I can't spell my body. My body can't spell. <laughs> I'm a horrible body speller. I think I spelled Joy J-Y-O-3. times. <laughs> <laughs> saw you.
0: Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is asking out fear, and even when I'm cold. Bend your
1: through the book of Deuteronomy uh, and we're in chapter 4 for the third week in a row, we've got to get moving. We've got a long way to go to get through this book. But that being said, we'll get there when the Lord wants us to get there. So, there was a man. You don't know him. But his brother was slain. Then he heard a week later that the man who killed his brother had been arrested. So he took off the time from work And he went to court. He wanted to hear every last bit of the trial of the man who had killed his brother. At the end of the trial, the jury rendered a verdict. They said that the man who had killed his brother was not guilty. I ask you this question. What logic must the jury have used to determine the man as not guilty? He'd killed his brother. He'd taken his life. He knew it for a fact. Could it be, at least under our system of judgment, that the murder was, or the death of the man, was in self-defense? They could use a plea of self-defense and say that I only killed him because that was the only thing I could do to survive. Could he be argued that it was under mental duress, in the heat of the moment, that he had temporarily gone insane. And that's why the man was found innocent. Under our system of justice, he might be found innocent because in the moment, he had been temporarily insane. The text that we're going to look at today addresses these issues for the Israelites. Uh, And remember that all the book of Deuteronomy is a recap. So it's already happened. Okay, So he's recounting the history of the Israelites coming into the promised land. And he's going to talk to them about how it might be that men might be found innocent of the death of another person that they have indeed killed. And what should be done with men like that. So grab your Bibles if you would. Maybe give me a little hoot, holler, or amen as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41. This is God's word Whatever I get right or wrong from here on out, God's Word is infallible and it may speak to your heart and help you be changed if that is indeed your desire. And if you know Jesus, you know that's the goal for us, that we move a little bit forward each day. It says in verse 41, Then Moses sat apart three cities across the Jordan to the east, that a manslayer might flee there, who unintentionally slew his neighbor without having enmity toward him in time past. And by fleeing to one of these cities, he might live. So basically, there are these cities across the Jordan. This is the area where it's not technically the promised land, but they took it on the way in. and It's been kind of lumped in and included. And he marks off these three cities, and we're going to talk about where they are in a moment. But the bottom line is, this verse says, verse 41, and then into verse 42, says that these cities would be marked out for someone to flee there who had taken the life of another man, but they specifically had not done it with enmity toward that man. In other words, they didn't have anger in their heart. They didn't hate the man. They didn't plan this necessarily, but it happened. It says, who unintentionally slew his neighbor without having any enmity toward him in time past. So we call that first-degree murder in the United States of America. You plan to murder them. It's, ag- it's aggravated. It's intentional, right? And any other death of another, that person could flee toward those cities and they could stay there safely, if you will, and live. And 43 says, Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites and Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. So he laid out these three cities with the intention that they might go there and not. Now I want you to think about who the Israelites were in this day. He's recounting a history, but who were they in the day that these cities were originally laid out? They had become soldiers one and all. There was not a man amongst Israelite that didn't own one or more swords, one or more shields, one or more suits of armor. There was not a man amongst Israel who did not know how to swing a sword to kill or thrust a spear to kill. They had to fight their way in, and they would fight their way to take control of the entire promised land. They all knew what it was to kill, how it was to kill, and when they killed somebody, they all knew that, that when that person was dying, when they were dead, they knew that they'd struck him in an important place, or they'd struck him in a not-so-important place. And obviously, back there with the way medicine was, you could be struck in a not-so-important place and still die, right? You get a, Your leg, leg had to be chopped off because of gangrene or whatever, and then... Uh, You've got one leg for life or they don't get it in time and the poison still spreads to your heart you still die and so on. They had many weapons. They were essentially all fighters and they were used to standing up for what was right. They knew that as a people they had called, been called to deliver a verdict of judgment on the people who were located in the promised land. People who burned their firstborn children in the fire. People who went to the temple to have sex with prostitutes to make it rain, right? They knew that the people there were in false worship, not worshiping God, but all these other false gods, and that they had delved into all these wicked behaviors, and that God had now passed judgment on them, so they felt that they were God's instruments of justice in wiping out the people that were currently living in the promised land or chasing them out. Under that circumstance... There were bound to be unintentional deaths. Everybody's got a sword, right? Everybody knows how to kill. There were bound to be unintentional deaths when they settled in the promised land. And Moses was stating what to do about those unintentional deaths. Now, obviously, the unintentional deaths can mean more than just killing somebody. And We'll come back and take a look at that before we're through. But the bottom line is, he knew it was going to happen, and he, was, and he had made some rules as led by God for how to handle it when it did happen. So let's look at the actual event of Moses assigning these cities that took place. So You're going to go um, to the left, into the book of Numbers, if you're following along in your Bible. Book of Numbers, and we're going to look at chapter 35, so you're not going to go very far to the left, so we're only in four chapters into Deuteronomy, you're going to go back four chapters, and then the book right before that is Numbers. And the chapter right before that is 36, and the one before that is 35, okay? So these are events not very far behind in our Bible, even though they're some years behind in the life of Moses, okay? Numbers 35. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Caden, then you shall select for yourselves cities to be cities of refuge. So, in other words, God's telling Moses, not just these cities in this side, remember Moses doesn't eventually get to cross the Jordan, but he's getting a command from God after setting up the ones on the right side of the Jordan, or what we'd call the east side of the Jordan, right? He's going to set them up, he's going to tell Joshua and the leaders of the Israelites to set them up in the whole other part too. So now we see there's going to be cities of refuge where people can flee to all throughout the promised land because there are going to be unintentional deaths, Okay says, so when you cross the Jordan in the land of Canaan, then you shall select for yourself cities to be your cities of refuge, that the manslayer who has killed any person unintentionally may flee there. And the cities shall be to you as a refuge from the avenger, so that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for trial. So in other words, they're going to, give a, going to give him a fair trial to determine whether or not he has unintentionally killed the person. And if, they, if he flees to the city, he can be sure of getting that trial. If he stays at home, he's probably going to get slain by the, the manslayer, 13. It says, "...and the cities which you are to give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities across the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan. They are to be cities of refuge." These six c- cities, I'll try to say that again, that's not that easy. These six cities, there we go, shall be for refuge for the sons of Israel and for the alien and for the sojourner among them. Now notice, that says they're going to apply these laws to strangers, non-Jews, Gentiles, people that live amongst them. So there will be people that live amongst them, whether they be their servants or travelers or merchants or whatever. And they're going to apply these laws to those people equally, the same they do to Jewish people. They're going to get a fair trial if they have possibly unintentionally slain someone. Continues, that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there, meaning to those cities of refuge. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Okay, so what we see is, if this, if you, if this person drew his sword, or had a weapon, a dagger, sword, whatever, and he went and attacked that person, he's the attacker, and he killed him with a iron sword. Then, bless you. Then he's surely going to be put to death, right? So it's a pretty obvious standard what the murder. Is. You went after him with a weapon and killed him. That's murder. No way out of it. And you're going to be put to death. Seventeen it says, and if he struck him down with a stone in his hand by which he may die, and a, and as a result he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So if he went after him with a stone, so he can't. Well, I can't use my sword. That's definitely a killing. I'm just going to beat him with a stone, right? But if I hit him with a stone that might kill him, and it does, so I went after him, and I hit him with a stone that might kill him, and it does, now I'm a murderer, and I shall be put to death. Or if he struck him with a wooden object in the hand by which he might die, so I hit him with a club, for example, that he might die, and as a result he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Now these are all Incidents incited by the person in question. We know this guy killed somebody. Did he do it intentionally? Well, if he hit him with a steel weapon, an iron weapon that could kill him, and he killed him, he hunted him down. He went after him with a weapon. That's murder. If he hit him with a a stick or a club that could kill him, right? If he hit him with a switch, that's different. If he hit him with a stick or club that could kill him, and it killed him, he's that's it. It's not unintentional. If he hit him with a stone, even though it might be. Look at that stone, baseball sized stone, and hit him with it. That could kill somebody, and I knew it could kill somebody, so now that's not unintentional. That's murder. That person deserves to die. 19. The blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. He shall put him to death when he meets him. So as soon as he comes upon that guy, knowing that he did it, he can put him to death. In the street, in the bar, at his house, doesn't matter. right? So he comes upon him, and he can put him to death, because he knows that that he killed him. He went after him with his sword. He went after him with a stick. He went after him with a stone. We know that. So he can put him to death. Remember, they were, these were all guys who thought of themselves as dealing justice. All right? And then he can put him to death. He fled to the city, to the refu- city of refuge. Now he gets a fair trial. At the end of the fair trial, we determine, yep, he went after him with a sword and he died. That's murder. All right? So now, the avenger comes, puts him to death. It's pretty simple. It's not very complex at all, is it? And if he pushed him, right? So now he didn't use any weapons at all. So then if he pushed him of hatred, or if he threw something at him lying in wait, and as a result, he died. Or if he struck him down with his hand in enmity. Now we're talking about motivation. So pushing somebody's not normally going to kill him, right? But it's clear that he did that out of anger, out of hatred or enmity. He really did not like that person. Or he lay in wait and he threw a rock at him or threw something like a piece of wood at him. What? It doesn't matter. Threw something at him. Obviously, he did that out of anger toward that person or hatred toward that person. It says, and as a result, he died. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. So now we're judging the motivations. That's why we need a trial, right? It's not obvious. It's not, oh, you went after him with a sword, a spear, or a stone that could kill somebody and he killed him, so now it's obvious. It's not obvious. He pushed him. He didn't necessarily mean to kill him. But he did it with anger in his heart. He really hated him. So now that's murder and he's going to be killed for it. The blood avenger shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But, verse 22, if he pushed him suddenly without enmity. In other words, he didn't have it in his heart that he hated the man. He just pushed him. It was a heated moment or whatever. Or he threw something at him without lying in wait. So we're, we're messing around and, and I throw a rock at the person. I'm, I think I'm being funny. Or, we're taught, We're arguing, we're having a disagreement, I'm not lying away from you, I'm having a disagreement, and I throw a rock at you, because I think, you know, I'm going to get your attention, or whatever, I didn't think it was going to kill you, but, and it said, 23 says, or, with any deadly object of stone, and without seeing it dropped on him, so that he died, while he was not his enemy, nor seeking his injury, in other words, I really didn't mean to hurt him, and the trial is judging that, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the blood avenger according to these ordinances. So in other words, based on these rules right here, the congregation, the trial, the people who are judging him, which is where we get this whole concept in America of a trial of your peers, right? are going to pull Jewish men out, they're going to look at them, and they're going to say, no, this applies, or this applies. Right? They're making a decision, and they're going to judge. Should this person be allowed to live, or should the blood avenger be allowed to take vengeance? Now 25 says, and the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the blood avenger. And the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. So now, you got this guy. He unintentionally killed somebody, or that's his claim. He flees to the city of refuge. He's called to a trial. They judge. Yes, he unintentionally killed him. He didn't mean to do it. He's allowed to go back home, right, with his family? No he's allowed to go back to the city of refuge so he can stay away from all of his family. He's not allowed to be with his kids or his wife unless they move there. right? But he can't, he can't go back to his aunts and his uncles, can't go back to his ancestral home or whatever until the high priest who's been anointed with oil dies. I want you to think about the symbol, some symbolism of that right there. Until the high priest faces death, the guy who's been anointed, until he faces death, the man who unintentionally killed somebody, he did this He did kill somebody, but he didn't do it in murder or hatred or with a weapon on on him down, things like that. All that we just read, right? He is not allowed to go home until the high priest dies. Okay, 26. But if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the border of the city of refuge to which he may flee. So he went there, he's not allowed to go back there. He's allowed to live out his life there until the high priest dies. But if he leaves the city of refuge... So he leaves where he's been put by God, by the commands of Moses, right? Then it says, And the blood avenger finds him outside the border of his city of refuge. So the guy who could take his life if he was not determined as innocent, if that guy finds him outside the city of refuge, and the blood avenger kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. So in other words, if the guy who could have killed him if it was murder finds him outside the city of refuge, he can kill him, and that's not murder. That's fair vengeance. That's within the law. He shall not be guilty of blood. Because he should, the man who slew unintentionally, should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But, after the death of the high priest, after the high priest faced death, the manslayer shall return to the land of his possession. He gets to go back home, And take his family lands like he had before. And you follow? Okay. Now, there's a few things I want you to see in there, and then you're already sensing, I think, if you're paying attention, a positive, powerful conclusion that is in this these texts. All right. The first thing I want you to see in there is that God, without a doubt, despises murder. God hates murder. God does not want to see people who are created in the image of God, even though they be imperfect, even though they be sinners, even though they be flawed, or be a drunkard, or whatever. It doesn't matter. No matter what their ailments are, God does not want to see people killed vindictively, with anger, with enmity. That's a problem. Murder is killing someone with intent. You did it on purpose, and you... And realize that that person who was killed was made in the image of God. Just as the killer who should never want to kill was made in the image of God, so too the one who was being killed was created in the image of God. When a person murders another person, they are destroying everything that that person ever could be. Future tense. You can say, well, that person deserves to die because they did whatever. But you don't know what they're going to be like in 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. Modern psychology people don't change, they are just the way they are. That's not what the Bible says. Right? In Christ people change completely. And God knows that. And God is patient that all men might come to repentance, I meaning He desires that people, even people who are murderers, even people who are sinners, whatever, that they would come to repentance. However, if you would kill someone, destroy everything that they are, if you would seek them out and intentionally kill them, then you are robbing God and mankind of all of their future deeds. Everything that they would ever do, every person that they would ever love, serve, give, care about, stand up, speak out, stand for truth, anything good that they might ever do and anything bad that they might ever do has been stolen from mankind, the earth, from God. Worse, it's it's easy to do it. You say, well, I'm gonna take that person, I don't like that person, they stole my money, or or they maybe they cheated on so and so, or they hurt so and so, so I'm gonna take my sword and I'm gonna go run them through. Done. They are worthless. I have judged them as worthless, they're no good anymore, and then based on that, now who's no good? Well, whether or not the person who was run through was no good, that's irrelevant. Did you hear anything in there about the person other than the blood avenger who killed somebody who murdered somebody, right? We heard that. But other than that unintentional means you didn't go after them with a weapon of any kind. You didn't push them, meaning to cause them harm unto possibly death. You didn't come after them with a stone that could possibly kill somebody, right? You didn't have enmity in your heart before. You didn't hate them, have anger toward them. It's all about what's going on in the person who's being judged as intentionally a murderer or unintentionally. It has nothing to do with what that other person... They could have cheated at cards. They could have stole his wife, right? That's all covered under another text, but the bottom line is he's saying... You just don't get to go after people because those people, as bad as they might be, they're made in the image of God. Yes, they're marred, but so are you. Yes, they're wicked and evil at times, but so are you. But now, here's the exception. The exception is when that person has intentionally done it to somebody else, it shows you how much God despises murder. Murder. If you can find in your heart enmity toward another person, if you can really look at them and say, man, that person, I hate them. Or man, I'm so angry with them. And be careful because there's a thin line between being angry at a person and angry at a person's deeds. And we slip across that line before we ever realize it. We think about how much we hate what they do and, it, and just in a blink of an eye, you're thinking about you hate them. I'm angry at them because of what they did. So, so often we can't even sort it. Somebody's acting angry at a person But really, what they're angry, they think they're angry at what the person did, but the line is so thin. Jesus said in the New Testament, when you're angry at a brother, you have murdered them already. That's how thin the line is. It's a very thin line. God despises murder. You just can't do it. Do not live your life as a person who hates other people. Don't do it. Because God despises it. And if Jesus says you are guilty of murder, then based on this text, and thank God we don't live under this system, if you went around angry, and you were angry at your brother, you'd be subject to blood vengeance. That's what Jesus was saying. You're a murderer. You're angry at them. You're a murderer. So then somebody would have the right to come and kill you. Well, the truth is, because of our sin and the way we behave to other people and the way we behave in our lives, somebody does have the right to come and kill us. God despises murder. Secondly, notice that God is more concerned with men's heart than with apparent outcomes. Now, if I lost my brother to some guy who hit him with a rock, I'm going to be pretty angry at that guy. I'm going to struggle in my emotions with anger toward the person who killed my brother. Now, I have to repent of that and I have to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or otherwise, that anger is going to control me and I might go and do something I shouldn't do right? And then I might have a high price to pay. What's the domino effect of that, right? If the blood avenger comes and kills somebody and that person unintentionally kills somebody and you say, oh, now that was illegitimate, then you kill the blood avenger. Who kills the blood avenger? Well, the blood avenger does. Now the brother of the guy who just got killed said, no, that was a legitimate and next thing you know, you got a brawl in the street. Everybody's drawing their swords and they're all soldiers and they all have weapons and they're all capable of killing somebody and they know exactly how to do it. Very similar to what we're facing in the world today, except we're talking about a different kind of weapons, aren't we? God is more concerned with going on what's in a man's heart than with apparent outcomes. On the passage that we just read about murder, a murderer would be put to death because he is a murderer and that's justice. If murderers continue to live, they will likely murder again because they have already been at the moment of hating God's image. They have usurped God's authority over life and death and they've done it intentionally. Once you have learned to have anger in your heart towards somebody else or to hate somebody or to murder somebody, once you think, man, I'll kill that guy, even though you may never have done it. Once you've done that, you've crossed a line from which it's hard to come back. Be careful about thinking about how bad other people are because that will drag you across that line. And we're already there. If we're not careful, because yes, they've hurt us. Yes, there's problems, etc. We're living in a world full of messy stuff and even creation. But do we go out and go, oh, I hate that tree? So a tree drops a branch on your car and crushes it. Do you then go get a chainsaw, cut down the tree and burn every last little bit of it because you hate it so much? You might, but if you are, then I submit to you that you've got anger management issues, right? You've got a struggle because the tree didn't do nothing. It just did what trees do but it's a groaning creation. What if a tornado comes and knocks down your house? Are you then going to be out shooting the wind, burning the wind, stabbing the wind with a knife? Are you going to hunt it to the ends of the earth and try to defeat the wind? No. Tragedy happens all the time. People do things that they should not do. That happens. But usurping God's authority to become judge, jury, and executioner and destroy this person who's created, that's not acceptable. That's why Jesus led us to be a people of forgiveness. Forgive them. The truth is all societies cannot work if murderers are left unpunished because they will go on victimizing good people and enjoying the benefits of society while other good people live in fear. That's the thing we've got going on in the world. We've got people that are out there and they're teaching things and they're attacking people and they're very crafty at it and whatever. And if you say say something that's right, somebody else will come against you and they'll attack you and they're very crafty at it and they destroy you. I I'll, I'll, I'll never forget during COVID there was a pastor down south in a church I think it was in Louisiana and they decided that they were not going to stop having church as we were led to do we didn't stop having church either and that church blew up and it grew and a lot of people were coming cuz no other churches were open and they said no we're not going to stop worshiping God and they come. and they didn't have a bunch of huge COVID outbreak in a bunch of people die, but the pastor who was leading that church was attacked. He was attacked on social media. He was attacked at his home. He was attacked everywhere. In fact, eventually, they, they threw him in jail because he supposedly tried to run somebody over with a church van. They were driving in the parking lot. He was driving five mile an hour, just edging forward very slowly, trying to get into his parking spot. And the people in the parking lot would not get out of the way of him so he could park the church van. And one guy supposedly got bumped. At which point in time, the sheriffs of the county immediately came and arrested him and threw him in jail because he was trying to kill somebody with a church van. We live in a world where people will try to get their way. And if you try to stand up for what's right and do what's right, you will become a target. My suggestion to you is that if you want to start do what's right and risk becoming a target, first learn to forgive. First learn to not fight back. First learn to take those punches and stand up and be strong despite the fact that others are doing wrong. You do what's right. right Now, if you become the blood avenger, you better darn well make sure that you have been authorized by God to be a blood avenger. And there's no blood avenger in our day. Not you, not me, not in this room. Because there's grace. Because somewhere down the road, murderers get saved. Jeffrey Dahmer, who ate people because he thought people were something to be eaten, gave his life to Christ in his last week on earth. Now, I'm not one to judge. I don't know if he came to Christ. He was later put. I guess he died by lethal injection. I don't remember. He was murdered. He, he was murdered in prison. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So I don't know if he got saved or not. It's irrelevant. But he had the right. He could have come to Jesus Christ and been saved, despite the fact that he ruined so many people's lives. Our weapon is the gospel. We do not fight flesh and blood. We are not blood avengers. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do not take vengeance for yourself, saith the Lord. The bottom line is, we must learn to forgive and not do that. And with that then, because people are going to forgive you when you do wrong, you're not licensed to victimize other people. Because when you start getting good at victimizing other people, you've crossed the line from which you cannot come back. And there is a blood avenger. It isn't a human being, but there is someone. And we'll get to that in a minute. The third point to notice in here, then, is that people... Want to make righteousness out to be complicated. But notice how easily it is. The intent was determined by the list of small commands written right there. We could very easily decide, if you just went by the words the way it was written, whether or not the person who did it intentionally murdered somebody or not and should be put to death, or whether they should be allowed to live in the city of refuge as long as the high priest was still alive. They had a very simple set of rules. In the United States of America right now, when a law goes to Congress, it's usually about 500 pages deep and nobody's even read it. You, you're like, I don't want to believe that's true. Look it up. Nobody can read 500 pages in the 10 days that they're given order. By the time it goes through committee, things have changed. Now, they have whole staffs that read parts of it and they get briefed on it. And the idea is for everybody to know what's in there. We're trying to know what's in there. We're trying to do a good job, know what we're voting on, not voting on, things like that. But the bottom line is 500 pages. The determination of whether or not a person is guilty of murder was not 500 pages. It was just two paragraphs. Barely three paragraphs. Right? You can determine very simply whether or not someone is attacking someone by looking at what they're doing. And that's what they would decide in a court. But let's make it as complicated as we possibly can be because we want the people to get away with whatever they possibly can. Or should we just keep it simple? Righteousness is simple. The intent of a person is pretty easily determined when you're talking about murder. It's not so easily determined when you're talking about the way they're manipulating things behind the scene, gossip and slander and so on. However, righteousness is still, right? When some let me say it simply. When someone talks, not a husband-wife pair, but outside the husband and wife relationship, when someone talks about what happened when you were not there, that is gossip. You understand? You say, no, that's witnessing. No, it's gossip. When you talk about what Jesus did when you were not there, that's witnessing. Okay? Now, if they talk about what happened when you were not there and they don't tell the exact truth, that's bearing false witness. Exactly what's disallowed in the Ten Commandments. If they talk about what's happened when they were not there and you form an opinion based on what they told you happened when you were not there, then that is the sin of gossip Fully enacted. Okay. Well, I saw so-and-so say, and I saw so-and-so say back to them, and now I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about what so-and-so said back to them, and I'm thinking, well, that person was not very nice. So that now I form an opinion in my head that that person can be not very nice. At times. Not always. I've seen them be nice too. But at times they can be not very nice. Now that's, I formed an opinion. That means the person who gossiped to me, I took their gossip. I acted on it. I formed an opinion. Now we have a sin. That is unrighteousness. Stop playing games with it. When you talk about what happened when you were not there with the intent to form an opinion in the person that you talked to, that's gossip. The Bible says it's sin. If what you say is expressly negative about that person, that's slander. Even if it's true. I come to Brother Tim and I say, Brother Tim, uh, you know, Josh and I were talking the other day and this happened and Josh did that. And I'm really upset with your son right now because of what he did. That's slander. I slandered Josh. You know, you just said what happened. You just told the story, right? I got no business telling the story. Brother Tim wasn't there. How does he need to know that? Right? Now, if my wife and I talk about it, we are in the Bible one person. So that you need to talk to somebody about something Have you talked? but be careful because when you talk to your wife or you talk to your husband, they may form an opinion and you need to make sure that they get the, the right picture. You need to be honest and truthful about what happened. So you're not creating in them a negative feeling that then goes on and they do something that they shouldn't do. But you can talk about it with your spouse, but nobody else. If they weren't there, they don't need to know. Now you talk about what the sermon was about. Talk about what the word says. Talk about what Jesus is doing. Those are all acceptable topics. But all this talk about why so and so did what they did, you don't even know. What they actually did, you don't know. It's all gossip and we're doing it as if it were acceptable. And I'm just giving you one small example of how we have muddied the waters about what's righteous and what's not. But God sees righteousness as very clear and very simple. So I'm going to say to you, just make this your life nomocra, your life um, slogan, if nothing else. Don't blur the line. Don't question yourself. When the Bible says don't do it, just don't do it. When the Bible says do it, just do it. That's it. No more discussions. Don't go to somebody and ask their opinion on it. Don't form a committee. Don't think about it. Don't pray about it and say, Oh God, well, you know, I would start witnessing if only you would tell me definitively with a roll of thunder and a peal of lightning and blind me for three days like you did Paul then I would start telling people about Jesus too. Don't do that. God already told you in His Word very clearly that you need to talk to people about Jesus. Stop blurring the line. Righteousness is righteousness. Anything else, is sin and unrighteousness. And there is a blood avenger. Also, notice that if you know what you are doing is wrong, and you do it anyway, then that is wickedness. These guys who were determined as murderers and subject to the blood avenger, they were all being subject to the blood avenger because they had decided, essentially, whether they did it out of the anger that was in their heart or whatever, to take a weapon or a stick or a rock or a push or throw something or whatever and kill somebody. They had decided to do it. Even if they hadn't literally decided to kill them, but really just decided that they hated them and were angry at them, that's enough. Because the action was precipitated in hate and anger and they threw the rock and now the person is dead. That's murder. No blurring the line. Okay? So notice that... There is a difference then between somebody who did it intentionally and somebody who did it unintentionally, right? Okay, we're moving into the conclusion. And I want to talk to you about sins of ignorance. There's a question as to whether or not sins that you do without intending to sin are different from sins that you do knowing that it's sin. And the answer is yes. Simply put, let's hear from Jesus. We've got two passages short passages of Scripture left. One is in Luke 12. So if you're reading along in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. Luke 12, just two verses. Jesus is going to speak on this very same subject. Luke 12. And it's verse 47 and verse 48. And it says this. And that slave, who knew his master's will, and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it, and committed deeds worthy of flogging, will receive but few. Now obviously, the slave here that we're talking about is not traditional slavery. We're talking about a serv- a servant subject to his master, to which we are subject to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can go back and reword the pa- passages the same way Jesus meant them, which is to say, and that servant of Christ, who knows Christ's will, and does not get ready to act in according with Christ's will, shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few. Jesus was being very clear. And it says, And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him they will also ask all the more. You if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, have been made nothing less than a child of God. You have been freed from sinful behavior. You have overcome the former you and become a new you when you were born again. And if you have received all of that, then much can be expected of you. What much might be expected? That if you know the will of the Lord, you will do the will of the Lord. It's that simply put. To know the will of the Lord and not do the will of the Lord is to despise the will of the Lord. It is to dishonor the one who went to the cross and died for you. It is to dishonor the one who created DNA and every living thing and stars in the sky and shall we go on. He does not deserve to be dishonored. He deserves to be respected. Don't blur the line. You say, oh, but God gave me all this, God made me the way I am, all that kind of thing. You're just blurring the line. To him who much is given, from him much is expected. Jesus said so. So if you know the will of the Lord, you're expected to do it. Now, if you do something that's wrong, not knowing that it's against the will of the Lord, then you'll not be punished. That's what it said, right? No, that's not what it said. Okay, we just read it. I read it twice in fact. It didn't say that. It said you'll be punished with fewer lashes. That's what it says. Sins of ignorance are treated differently than sins of knowing that you're sinning. In fact, the Bible describes sins of ignorance this way. It calls that iniquity or simply sin. The Bible describes sins when you know you're sinning and doing it, it calls that wickedness. Many places the Bible says that God essentially hates wickedness. And God will discipline wickedness. Okay, we're going to look at one more text and then I'll bring it all to a close. Matthew 11. So we're going back to the left in the New Testament if you're following along, which I encourage you to do. Matthew 11. And we're going to read from verse 20 through 24. The latter part of this, again, is Jesus speaking. Verse 20 says, Then... He, and the he in this story is Jesus, and it's capitalized If you have, depending on what version of the Bible you have, but it's talking about Jesus. Then he began to reproach. That means he was confronting them or talking firmly against them. He began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done. So Jesus began to say, Oh, you're in trouble now. Watch what it says. He began to reproach them... Because they did not repent, it says. Verse 21. Woe to you, Corzine, Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he's saying, woe to you two cities! I did a lot of miracles there in you. And if the miracles that I did there in you were seen over there in those cities, they would have repented a long time ago. 22 says, Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So, how was it that Tyre and Sidon are getting the more tolerable outcome? Because less of the miracles that Jesus did were done in those cities. They saw less of His miraculous interventions than... The other two cities did. So the other two cities were in trouble, but Tyre and Sidon will be treated less badly, if you will, in the day of judgment. Verse 23 says, And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? In other words, you are not be lifted up to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, or you could put hell there if you want. You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, remember Sodom? one of the cities that God rained fire down from heaven and destroyed it where Lot was and he and his wife and family were taken out and she looked back, turned to pillars, saw, boom, gone. May well lay under the Dead Sea today. That Sodom? I'll back up. and says, You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it, that Sodom, would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable, wait for it, for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Ouch! That hurts. They had seen the miracles of Christ. Sodom didn't have that, but was so wicked... That They had descended into such wickedness that God wiped them off the face of the earth. God himself rained down fire, wiped the city off the face of the earth. But it would be more tolerable, tolerable for the people of Sodom in the day of judgment than the city that God did not wipe off the face of the earth that had seen the miracles of Jesus and not repented. I think you're beginning to get the idea. The first set of verses that we just read shows Jesus explaining that sins of ignorance will be treated less harshly. The second set is Jesus explaining that certain cities would be handled very roughly by God because they saw Jesus' mighty works and did not repent. When you know, you know. No more games. When you know, you know. No more games. You know. So repent. Turn to God. Turn away from your wicked ways. Live according to what you know and realize that now you have seen the glory of God. Now that you know the glory of God is a real thing, your sins, the things you do wrong, can less and less be called sins of ignorance which is why we can be expected to repent. It is why we can be expected to walk in righteousness before the Lord. It is why we can be expected to be a pillar of truth and stand up for what's right. You are now responsible to grow and be more and more good every day. If you take up the tools of this world and do what you might have done in ignorance and been punished lightly, now that you know You will be judged as in wickedness. You can no longer do what you once did in ignorance because you are no longer ignorant. I said a couple of times during the sermon that we have a blood avenger. Remember that the person who unintentionally killed someone then went to trial in a city of refuge and was determined as innocent of murder they didn't get to go home. They didn't get to go back to their ancestral home, to their family lands. In fact, if they were caught outside the city of refuge at any time after that, before the the high priest faced death, they would be subject to murder by the blood avenger who would not be found guilty for doing so. The one who sins unintentionally and is found innocent, and saying they sinned unintentionally, they didn't know, they were ignorant, can stay in the city of refuge, but cannot go back to where they sinned unintentionally. There is a blood avenger waiting for you right outside the gate. Right outside where God has put you. As you wander away from what God has taught you, as you begin again to do things that you should not do, there is a blood avenger waiting for you right outside. The Bible describes it, this path that we're on, this road that Jesus said, I am the way, as a way of holiness. It is a way of righteousness. It is a way of doing the right thing, empowered by God, by His Holy Spirit. This is the painful truth. Of the scriptures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the great blessing is it says, the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. That eternal life granted to you through Jesus Christ the Son is a wake-up moment. It's a moment of being born again. It's a moment of now living for the Lord. Now, you cannot go back and sin the sins of ignorance. No matter how good an argument the world makes, you cannot live the way you used to live when you were in ignorance because now you are no longer in ignorance. Someone has told you. You have believed. You have awakened. You have been born again, Jesus said. And in so doing, you can no longer go back and act the way you once did when you were in the world. You cannot do the things. Because if you do, you are leaving the city of refuge that God has restored for you. That He's laid out for you. That He's put there for you. You cannot leave the city of refuge and go back and subject yourself to the avenger of blood because, don't kid yourself, He will eventually find you. He is stalking like a roaring lion looking for whom He may devour don't go stick your head in his mouth. Stay where you belong. Now, if you leave the city of refuge and are killed, does that mean you cannot go to heaven? If you leave the city of refuge and are punished horribly by the blood avenger who is out there waiting, if you, if you do not follow the Lord after having been saved and you continue to live the way the world lives and live in the world system and do not live for God, does that mean you cannot go to heaven? What it means is you can no longer call it ignorance. You can no longer stop living the way the Lord would have you to live and live in what you would call ignorance and say, well, I don't think God. No, you know what God wants now. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what He wants. And the Word teaches. Are there gray areas where the Word does not teach? Yes, there are. And if you want to indulge in those areas, I don't recommend it. But some of them you can indulge in and the Word will not convict. And you can even claim that there are sins of ignorance and say, well, I think I can live that way because the Bible doesn't specifically say that I can't. But once God comes and tells you personally, you have a personal encounter with the Lord that says you can no longer do that, then you have to quit. Years ago, I was ministering with a man who had been an associate pastor for roughly 20 years in the church. And I sat with him and we talked and he said, "Well, I must. I got to share this with you. I got to tell you something. It's really heavy on my heart. I have to be open. I have to be honest. I have to tell you who I am." And I said, "Okay, go ahead." I said, "I'm scared now, but go ahead." And he said, uh, "You know, I smoke cigarettes." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "I know that." And he said, "And you know, the Word does not say you can't smoke cigarettes." And I said, "Yeah, I know that." I said, "The Word says does not. There's no cigarettes are not mentioned in the Bible." I said, "I think it's bad for you. I think it's bad for probably for your witness." But you know, you have to deal with that with the Lord. And he said, "Well, I want to tell you." That God has told me, straightforward, personally, straight up, told me flat out, I can no longer smoke. And I said, really? I said, well, that's that's awesome clarity then. That should give you great strength to quit. I'm sure you've been probably wanting to do it anyway. And I'm, your wife probably wants you to quit whatever. And he said, yeah, well, I also have to tell you that I don't intend to quit. And the room got very silent. And he said, so just to be clear, God has told me I have to quit And I'm telling you today, I'm not gonna. Now you tell me what I should say next based on today's sermon. What I said was, if you continue to do that after the Lord has told you that you have to stop, then that can be called nothing but wickedness. And in the end, you will lose everything. You'll lose your your life, you'll lose your family, you'll lose everything. If you continue in wickedness, if you say to God, I hear you, Lord, I know exactly what you're telling me to do, but you shake your fist at God, and I raised my fist that day, and I said, you shake your fist at God and say, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do despite the fact I know what I'm supposed to do, then it will all turn out in wickedness. And we cried together and we prayed together, and he repented and he decided to quit. He said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm ever going to do it. But he decided to quit. And he continued to serve the Lord until the day he died. And, went, and I believe in all my heart, went to be with Jesus. I sat with a woman in her living room who had betrayed my family. She had lied to us and she had perpetrated a great act of wickedness against us. And I said, God does not approve. God is against us. And she said, I know. But I don't care. She said, I, I had to do what I had to do. I needed, and she told me what she needed. She said, I needed that, and I, and I needed to get it, and you weren't giving it. Nobody was giving it to me, and I needed it, and so I took it, and I needed to do this. She said, I pray to God every night, and God's going to forgive me, and nothing nothing is going to happen from it. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you know what you're doing is wrong, you just told me you did, and you did it anyway, that's wickedness, and God will not look away, God will not back down, and He will punish you. Less than three Months later, that person who I was sitting with was diagnosed with cancer and was on the verge of dying from it. And our fam- family ministered to them through what became the darkest hours of their life, and they repented and turned back to the Lord and lived the entire remainder of their life for Jesus and went to be with him. You decide. What the word is calling us to is nothing less than don't blur the line. God says what he says. It'll be very very it's going to be very very comfortable in the coming days to change what the Word of God says is being done all over the world as we speak. There was a church in Columbus. It was down to six people attending. Six people. They're about to close the doors. Beautiful, like $10 million building. Six people coming to church. They hired a pastor. They had money in the bank. They hired a pastor. And they said, "And the pastor said, if you'll give me carp launch, I can do anything I want. I can grow your church to 100 in a year. And they said, fine. So the pastor said, well, we're going to be the church for all people. And he posted everywhere that they would do homosexual weddings in front of the church. That he would hear the vows of homosexuals and get married in front of the church. In less than a year, the church grew to 100 people. That's what he said would happen. A few years, church to 250 people. And you're like, well, that's awesome. I want to be a part of a church that grows to 250 people in a couple of years. I want to do that. We attended that church. My wife and I and a couple people went with us. During the sermon during the service, you know how many times the word was preached? We were there for an hour and 15 minutes. You know how many times it was preached? None. You know how many times a Bible verse was quoted? Once by a child. It wasn't a particularly convicting Bible verse, but once. They had a speaker get up and basically read an essay. That church is not following God. I'm not attacking that church and I'm not naming it because I would never slander that church. That's not my place. That's up to the Lord. What I'm telling you is if you engage in wickedness which will get very comfortable in the coming days as it gets close to Jesus coming again there's going to be a lot of people who want to hear what they want to hear and if you tell them what they want to hear they'll love on you. They'll take care of you. They'll give you everything you want while you're with them. They'll they'll come to your church. They'll serve in your ministries. It's going to get like that. People are going to come after what they want to hear. And less and less people are going to want to hear what this says. And I'm here to tell you today, God cares about what His Word says. Don't blur the line. Learn to forgive. Learn to stand up for what's right. Learn not to make excuses for yourself and say, I didn't know. Because the truth is, you do know. We're going to have a, a hymn of invitation at this time. It's an opportunity to ask yourself, what's the Lord saying to me today? I want you to think about your life. What are you doing that you know God's saying you can't do that? I want you to repent. It doesn't matter if you do it with me or publicly or whatever, but you to do that in your heart. Right? What are you doing that you know God's saying you can't do anymore? Don't blur the line. Don't make excuses. Don't say, well, I'm doing that because... And insert something that makes you feel a little bit better about it? What are you doing that God says you can't do and repent and turn back to the Lord and live for God today through His Son, Jesus Christ, and in power? What are you not doing that God says you have to do? Are you not spending time in the Bible? Are you not praying? Are you not meditating on the Word? All of those things are commanded in Scripture. They're all commanded. Are you not praising Him? You know how many times praising God is commanded in Scripture? Hundreds if you know what it is that he wants you to do, and you don't do it, that's sin. Worse than that, according to what we read, that's wickedness. How'd you like it if you claim the name of Jesus while you're alive, then arrive at the day of judgment, and it's better for Sodom on that day than it is for you? No way. I'm not willing for that. No way. I'm not in for that. I don't want to get there and see the people that were destroyed by a column of fire of heaven from wickedness that beat down doors to try to have sex with men hiding behind the doors. I'm not I don't want to go to the day of judgment and it'd be better on that day for them than me. No way. Don't blow really the line. Just call it what it is. You know. No more names. Repent and turn to the Lord and say, okay Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I Wanna know what that is, and in knowing what that is, I want to do it. Because you know what? It may only be a few more days, or maybe a few more weeks, or maybe a few more years, or even decades, or you may die of the natural causes before Jesus comes again. But even if you do, you're talking about fifty years at most looking around this room and, and talking about Korea, maybe a hundred years, right? But sixty years, seventy years, Arden, eighty years, whatever. If you live to be a hundred, and if it was a hundred years of doing what's right. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be better off. You're going to feel good about it. You're going to be serving God. You may be persecuted for righteousness. You may have people come against you, whatever. But you're going to be strong. God's going to build you from the inside out rather than you're building yourself from the outside in. God's going to build you from the inside out and you'll still be standing. And on the day of judgment, it'll be better for you than for somebody else who saw the amazing thing that God's did who didn't follow our God.
3: The Lord, help us. Let stand. Stand around the truth. Stand for those right serve, begin and, and don't quit, and don't worry the line.
1: stop playing around, and be God's people, we already used children to figure this Christ before we say, if you've not done that, do that, get started, let's get born again, let's put it behind us, all old things passed away, and if you have done that, then think about what's in your life that you're not doing that you're supposed to, or that you're doing that you're not supposed to, based on God's saying, you repent today and turn the Lord. And then you have some decision made publicly, you need to say, I'm turning from a certain sin, or I'm going to be doing what God told me to do in this way, and I know God's willing to do that. Or I need to be baptized, or I need to join the church, or I need to begin to give, or I need to begin to start a certain ministry. I know what God wants me to do in the community. or whatever, you need to make a decision, and as we've seen, we come forward and make that decision. That's crazy. Come forward at this time of lead us. And then everybody else will stand and sing this final hymn, but if you're a respondent, you just come forward. And you can share with the group. There's it's only four because this is the way you're all facing alright it's just a room you come and make it public as we sing you respond for words you can hear I have desire